Hello everyone, this is Inside the Tribe. We talk here about moving to another country, integration, challenges, fun and experiences while living in different culture. Today we have another focus talk with my new guest, Joy. Hi, Joy. Hello. Thank you very much for joining us and talking on the very interesting topic for me and for our listeners, I think. It's talking many languages in multicultural environment and especially... I think it would be interesting to talk um, how is it for kids to live in multi-language uh, environment and how is for them to adapt or more for parents maybe to adapt. But we dive in that a minute later. I would also like to know where you're from and where you live now. And uh, was it a big change for you or not? And what exactly are you doing? And then we would dive more in the topic of today. Okay, my name is Joy, and I have lived in my current environment in France since 2013. And before that, for about 10 years, it kind of changed quite a bit. So as you may be able to guess from my accent, I'm an American, and I was trained as a speech-language pathologist in Texas. I come from Dallas. And then we moved to Ireland, where I worked as well. And then we lived in Germany for a time. And so just since 2013, I kind of feel like we've begun to settle. And it's really interesting to me talking about change, because back before I had a family, I would have said, you know, six months is a good period of time to be able to settle into a new place. But then when you talk about switching countries where there's a new language and a completely new way of doing things, a different culture, just to say, yeah, really, really big change and completely didn't expect it to happen. So when I was in Texas, I met my husband who is French and we both wanted to move to Europe. We weren't you know, specific about where in Europe, but we didn't want to stay in the US. And I was fine with that. That was kind of part of the plan. And so when we moved to Ireland, I kind of thought, okay, this is good. We'll settle in Ireland and everything will be fine. And then we moved to Germany and Germany from Ireland was a huge cultural shift, a big change for me in terms of language and culture. So it was completely unexpected, and I did not have two words of German. The best way I like to refer to it in talking with parents who um, may be changing that environment for their child so that they're switching languages for their child in a new language of school, for instance. When I came to Germany, I found myself driving, and I was basically illiterate. So I would look at a sign, and it was for construction. And you know how they put up important instructions about things that you need to do for construction, roads that are closed, exits that need to be changed, dates that are, you know, things that are happening. And I had no idea what they said. So when you're on the road and you're driving, it's a bit of a panic when you see there's construction, you're already not super familiar with your environment and you cannot read the signs that are telling you what to do and how things are going to go. And I feel like that's a really good experience that a, an adult can identify with, if you can imagine <laughs> how it must be for a child who suddenly shows up in an environment where they don't read the language and they don't understand anything that's going on around them. Yeah. And I think it's also uh, depends on the age. Like if it's 
higher school, you know, and there you need to learn much, not just understand, but to learn much. But on the other hand, you have already your lifetime of social skills and ways of adapting to things. So there are positives and and more difficult aspects depending on the age. Absolutely. Okay. So what would you say like age, kindergarten age, what would be the difficulties? Okay. So let's start with the positives, right? Anytime that we talk about a child acquiring a language before kind of adolescence, we tend to expect that their ability to hear and discriminate the specific sounds in language, and this extends, I think, as well to prosody. You know, the prosody is where we kind of go up and down like this, and we talk and we have a good conversation with people. That depends on the language that you're speaking, right? So if you turn off the volume, if you don't understand the language and you're listening to someone speaking another language, you can kind of follow along and how they're talking like this, because if it's something positive, it's going to be kind of, you know, these lovely little sounds like this, whereas <laughs> some of these are talking like this and they're very upset and they're, even if you don't understand the words and they're very clipped and yeah. like this. And across languages, you can often tell the tone of what's going on just by that, right? Like so, emotions, you read emotions, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's going to, it comes across in the in your voice and how you hear things and how you say things, right? So the child is, is going to be kind of already super attuned to that and being able to imitate because they're kind of still, no matter what language they're exposed to at that age, they're really in this imitation. I'm going to hear something and then I'm going to try to copy what I've heard. Like a parrot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for most kids at that age, there's less self-conscious feeling about whether or not you get it wrong, although that really depends on the personality of the child. There will be some children, even at a very young age, feel very aware of how they're being perceived and whether or not they're being understood. And, you know, there they tend to be those kids that are more quiet maybe for a while before they say anything. And then they're going to come out with, you know, once they figured out how to say things and how, you know, the rules, the social interaction of how things should go. And then they, they talk more. But that's kind of the thing that I think about when I think about little kids, really little ones, that the advantage is that they have the brain plasticity is really at that heightened level of being able to hear something and be because their system is not really set yet. So when we're talking about adolescence and older adults, I know from my own experience, I will forever have an accent in other languages that I learn now because I have so much used my first language. I was raised mostly monolingual up until I was an adult and really acquired French as an adult. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, I still will have that transference effect of English, those sounds, that grammar system, the syntax that I will tend to kind of use just because I've been used to using that language for so long, Mm -hmm. transfer that over to using it in whatever other language I try to acquire. I had to go through a period of time of learning new sounds in French. So particularly, I think about the R sound, depending on in English and and then going in French and then in German as well. So we have these different, you know, ways of using that R sound. That R is really a good example of how you can spot someone, how they say there are the trilled R's that we have in Spanish, for instance, And then depending on where people learn how to talk, that's 
going to be the way that they're perceived as having an accent because let's just say that for a moment we all have an accent an accent is literally just the idiosyncratic way that you or I say our, our words right yeah. so yeah. I have an accent and anyone who I say to someone else you have an accent it really actually is me saying to that person you sound different from me so it's actually more a comment about ourselves if we say to someone you have an accent it's you saying to that person, oh, you sound different from me. Sometimes people perceive it as a, a bit a rude thing. If you say, oh, you have an accent, they're like, oh, I thought I'm good. You know, right. so it's like good or bad. So it's let's talk different. about that. This, this idea of this judgment of, okay, let's talk about what does that mean to have an accent, right? So I've just said, everybody has an accent, but most people don't realize that they have an accent. So they kind of take it for granted that anyone who sounds different from them, that makes them have the accent. But actually to that person that you're talking to, you have the accent because you talk different from they do. So it's just a, a perspective thing, right? But yeah. we have this idea in our head of accent and whether or not that's good or not, right? So I think it, it can we can begin just talking about our personal preference, right? So whatever accent, whatever way that we're used to hearing, we tend to become accustomed to that, right? So if we're accustomed to a certain way of hearing things pronounced and then it's completely different, then we say that person has an accent. So you'll notice that the people, in my experience at least, the people who tend to talk about accent tend to be people who say, I haven't had that international experience where the people in my environment come from all different countries and speak all different languages because when that's the case, People who are used to talking with people from many different places, really, we don't notice accent as much when we, in terms of thinking about, you know, who we're talking to, because it's about communication, right? So if we're listening to someone and the main thing is, did I understand what they're trying to say? The ideas yeah. and their yeah. thoughts and their feelings of what they're trying to convey, how they say it is less of an issue when we're used to hearing different people say things in different ways and they may even throw in a word from a different language and we don't even blink because have we understood what they were trying to convey with that I think that's um, the main thing yeah it brings me to another um, memory and also thought that the main thing is content and sometimes if I talk to many people at work with different languages and different topics in the end it's really funny but in the evening I have just information in my head And I don't remember which language I got it. Yes, I have that exact experience. And I think that's really the a really key idea to hold on to because what you've just said, content, right? That's what really matters. The ideas, the knowledge that we've acquired when we're multilingual, okay? It doesn't matter what language it's in because we've understood it. Our brain actually doesn't care what language it's in. This is the experience that multilingual people have because... You know, linguists, for the most part, when we talk about the research that I have read on multilingual development, has mostly been done by, mo by monolingual researchers, right? <laughs> so either they were all speaking German, they were all speaking French, they were all speaking Dutch, they were all speaking English. And then they look at the bilingual language learner and they think, oh my goodness, this strange creature, how can we make sense of it? And so what do they do? They compare it to a monolingual learner. 
because that's kind of, you know, it's easier, let's say, it's easier to look at a monolingual kid who has only been exposed to one language and what do they do with language? And so that must be how our brains process. Like, no, 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 no. It might be easier from a linguist point of view to look at how is it the child who is acquiring one language doing it. But when we throw in another language or two other languages or three or four other languages, the process is generally still the same, okay? This is difficult for people who are used to only thinking about one language at a time. And from an adult perspective, you know, we think about the number of words involved and the more languages means the num more number of words. And so it just makes it more complex and there's different syntax and there's different vocabulary and there's different concepts. But remember, your brain doesn't care which language it's in. Okay. Oh, that's interesting fact. Yeah. Because you've, you've just described at the end of the day, after you've had all these conversations, across languages, you don't remember which language was with what information, but your brain has made sense of it. And you can think about it in whatever language you choose. You have that vocabulary, you have that syntax, you have that ability to go across languages. And your brain is thinking and, and handling those ideas, those pictures, those concepts, and we can then translate it across our languages that we possess. So our language repertoire may only consist of one language when we're monolingual. But when we're bilingual, we still have that language repertoire. It's just spread across two, three, four languages, right? Okay. So we may have different vocabulary. This becomes key to explain to parents who talk about wanting their children to be equal in all their languages. Why? Why would you think that's necessary? We use language for what we need to use it for. So what really comes is key is the need. What do you need to talk about? Well, when you're at school, you need to talk about the things that you talk about at school. When you're at home, you need to talk about the things that you talk about when you're at home. And sometimes they overlap, right? So my own children who were raised, we'll say bilingual from the beginning because my husband has been speaking French to them. I've been speaking English to them. And then when we were in an environment in Germany, we had Germany as German as well in the mix. But things change over time. And what we need to talk about changes over time. And so as we're learning things at school in one language, let's say, which is often the case, and then we come home and we want to talk about that with our parents, then we have to learn that vocabulary in order to be able to talk about that, lang that language, that, those concepts with our parents, right? Because we learn that language, that vocabulary at yeah. school, yeah. and then we come home and we want to talk about it. And so we have that overlap. But as an adult, I can say, you know, I talk about different kinds of things and people who have specialty areas, their field, right? They may talk with certain people in a certain language about those things. Um, let's use my husband as an example. He's a statistician. And so he uses his English mostly in his job. And when he came to Europe and he was found other colleagues that were French. So now he's a French person but he did his studies in the US in statistics. And so when he found himself with a colleague who was French, he would actually say, I'm actually feel more comfortable speaking in English because of his experience at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly been in that area in English. And so it was easier for him to talk about that in English. So we have this, what we call the complementarity principle, which is this concept that we have vocabulary that we may develop that's specific to a language because that's the language that we used it in. And we don't really need that across our daily experience. Yes, I feel like I speak Russian, English, and German, and I understand Swiss German. But for example, at work, I always, in the beginning, had a um, 
worries that I could not learn so much business German, it's quite limited. So yeah. there's the same words, the same expressions you use at work. And the home and like private life language is much bigger. So it's much easier to learn just some words in German for business, but the world out there, it's much bigger. It's interesting, isn't it? And so actually, that's a really great example. That's exactly our experience. We use language for our needs. We figure out ways that we need to be able to express ourselves and the ideas that we have and what we want to convey. And children are just the same. So when they're developing that language, they're going to find those words and they're going to weave in and out of all of their language repertoire if they can with the people that they're speaking with, because that's the easiest. When you have someone that you're speaking with who has the same languages that you do, then that one language repertoire that your brain possesses, right? You weave in and out. You can use a Russian word for this because it's, you know, the perfect thing yeah. of what you'd like to express. And you know that the person that's listening to you can understand that that's why you're using that word. Yeah. And people come to me and they say, oh, what about this mixing of languages? Like, what, what, what is that? It's only considered a mix if you're monolingual. If you're bilingual, it's part of your language repertoire. So if I throw in, you know, coquelicot, because I like that word, because it's a French word for poppy, that is just yeah. this beautiful word. And so I use coquelicot because it's just such a pretty word. And I prefer that word over poppy. But I don't even have to explain that if I'm speaking with someone who speaks, speaks French as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think we have this, this concept of monolingual mindset where people who only speak one language, any other word stands out to them. If you throw in coquelicot, that's going to make them pause and go, wait, 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 what just happened? Whereas people who have multiple languages tend to kind of do that. And we don't really even think about it. It's just, we accept it and it's part of your vocabulary. So if you're talking with me and you use a word that I don't know, I'm going to hold on to that and just tell by context, okay, did I figure out what you meant by that? Or do I need to go back and go, oh, teach me that word. That sounds lovely yeah. and help yeah. me understand. So I think children are just the same. Okay. Another thing that I think that also children and also adults, if we learn a new language, we can't learn right away everything. And sometimes we don't need, for example, I don't know, I learned German and then um, we had a repairing at home. So yeah. a whole bunch of vocabulary for all instruments yes. and, and furniture just came yes. into my brain because I repeated <laughs> it every day in shops and when construction workers. Then I was pregnant. So all these maternity, kids, uh -huh. birth topics in German also came because I never needed that before. Exactly. But now that also can fade in a way because I don't need them anymore. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And sure. So, in, you know, one of the main things, one of the questions that you wanted to ask me was what are the one of the main concerns that parents bring yeah. to me about their children learning languages? And the theme that happens over and over and over, which I really just don't understand as someone who has learned language and I consider myself a lifelong learner, I enjoy learning about new things, is this idea that a child might be confused. What does that mean? I mean, even if, you know, you and I can be confused at any moment in our lives, but it's not a permanent situation. If we, if we hear another language, sure, I'm going to be confused because, you know, I might not have expected to hear that language, or maybe it's a language that I don't speak. And so I have to really pay attention and try to learn things. 
but it's a temporary situation. I'm going to figure it out. And over time, I'm going to learn the words and how to express. And, you know, just like you talking about learning how to talk about furniture at the house or maternity issues. I remember exactly the same kind of situation. I lived here in France and we had a heating issue. And oh my goodness, words for pipes and heating systems and, you know, all the kind of words. It was so funny because the the man that came to talk to me about what was happening and he talked you know fluently for a good couple of minutes in french about these things and i'm listening and i'm trying to understand and he pauses it at some point and he goes do you understand french <laughs> and i wanted to say normally <laughs> because when we're faced with that much new vocabulary yeah it can be a bit more confusing but we're going to figure it out and we're going to learn that vocabulary. Yeah. And so there's mm -hmm. no reason to think of, you know, oh no, we're going to be confused. Well, yeah, if you take a new class in an interest, if you're learning how to make a new recipe, if you're, you know, going to a new country to visit for a vacation, there may be times when you find yourself confused, but I feel like that's kind of, you know, a temporary problem to have when at the end of it, you're going to be able to speak with an entire new culture and people and access hopefully you know the literature and movies and everything else that comes along with learning a language so yeah I remember the story that I heard that let me not mistaken I think there was an old German lady she was like 89 no uh, 98 and she in this age she learned Russian just to read Dostoevsky in original <gasps> lovely I mean, Lovely. in this age. Yeah, absolutely. So it's never too late to learn a language. Absolutely. There has been studies that have showed that um, it can actually help delay cognitive decline. So if we're talking about um, in the case of developing dementia and older folks who may tend to start lo losing their memory, that engaging in that kind of activity for the brain where you're really trying to learn and hold on to new information that that can help the cognitive function. to keep <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah but um you may have heard in the news that it was a big story a few years ago that there has been research done that lifelong bilingual people they have demonstrated in research that bilingual lifelong bilinguals delay the onset of dementia by i think four to six years okay let's say two to six years to be safe but This yeah. idea that your brain constantly using all of this information has benefits cognitively. Yeah, guys, did you hear us? <laughs> Go into <laughs> the courses right away. <laughs> Another question I had just uh, also reminded me. Sometimes people are worried and sometimes I catch myself that, for example, talking all the time with English, German, some Russian, but then I, for example, talk to my mom and I'm like, what's that word? Yeah. And it's your own language. Yeah. Sometimes it's not scary, but worries that it's in a way fading away. You don't use those words. Yes. So I keep reading in Russian in my own language because yeah. it's like literature, rich language. Yeah. Rich Absolutely. Yeah. Language is definitely one of those cases of use it or lose it. And you can see, particularly with small children, some people talk about, you know, they had their childhood in another country where they learned and were fluent in a particular language. And then they move back to the home country of their parents or they move to a, just a different country. And that language just disappeared within six months. 
it can be really striking. Um, I know here with my own children, when we were living in Germany, we lived in Germany for three years. And for a child that's only three, that's their entire life experience, right? So we moved to Germany. And then when we moved to France, the little one who had been born in Germany lost most of her German within six months because my German is still not great. And so I did my best to at least have some German exposure. But, you know, children really need to need that language yeah. in order to learn it, in order to speak it, in order to hold on to it. It really has to have meaning and a necessity in their life because otherwise, you know, we're all going to tend toward the easiest pathway. And if we don't really need a particular language or this certain vocabulary, like you were talking about, linked with some things that you may talk with less often. So that would be kind of the vocabulary that you would expect to need to brush up on a bit, no matter even if it's your mother language, that's going to be something that you have to think about because it's not something that you use all the time. Yeah. As you say, you were trying to um, keep the German for your kids, right? Okay. So there's a couple of things, right? So first let's take the example of, let's take a Polish family. Now, The reason that I chose Polish is because I know that that's a common experience for a Polish family to move to, let's say, here in France, okay? And in France, the culture is very monolingual, even if France has, obviously, many people who speak many different languages. But by and large, you don't see those languages every day a lot. It's usually monolingual for the most part here in France, which means that French has the high status language, right? Okay, so people and adapt. So, and so what happens is the Polish family, let's say both father and mother are Polish speaking and they move to France. Now, they obviously want to be able to acclimatize to their environment. And so they're going to use French as well. And so they're going to learn French, but it's going to have an accent, right? They're not going to have the quote unquote typical pronunciation yeah. of a native French speaker, because that's a monolingual French speaker, someone who has grown up speaking French. And so they are going to, you know, feel self-conscious in an environment where French has the higher status language. There's not going to be Polish available in the daily life at the market with friends. They're going to have to find places to find uh, ways to keep the culture of Polish cuisine, of Polish literature, of people who speak that language, of use it every day. So they're going to have to find those other families with children, hopefully, that speak that language. Maybe if they're lucky, there's a Polish cultural center. Maybe there will be the Polish movie night where they have it at the theater, this kind of thing. And you have to really go out of your way then to find that minority culture yeah. language, right? And so what happens is the parents then are faced often with children really quickly who have picked up from the, the message, from the culture. And this can happen, the research has showed, in children younger than five, by the time a child is just five years old, they have already understood the unspoken message that French is the high status language and that I don't want to speak Polish around my friends who don't speak Polish because that makes me look weird. And so they might come home and this happened to me. And when we were in Germany, my daughter at three, or maybe she was four, but three or four. So she's really young, came home and said, mama, we have to speak German now because we're in Germany. <laughs> and I said, well, honey, that's a problem because my German isn't great, first of all. 
And second of all, if you want to keep talking with Papa's family, because her Papa's family speaks French and only French, and my family, my parents and sisters and brothers and cousins, etc., only speak English. So do you still want to speak with them? And she's like, well, yeah. I'm like, well, then you have to still speak English and French because we don't all speak German. And it was like, oh, okay, well, that was that then. And so she let go of her idea of needing to be monolingual German speaking. But the the message was there. And so this in our fictitious Polish family, the French speaking child now who is bilingual French and Polish may come home and say, look, can we just speak? French because, you know, I only need French at school. My environment is only French. So, you know, so without the family having those pretty strong ties back in Poland and needing to speak with the family and the cultural exchange of saying, look, we really need Polish actually, because the grandparents, the cousins, all of this, and we're going to go back to visit Poland. You want to be able to talk with your cousins. This is the reason that we need to hold on to it. But in the daily life, it makes it really difficult to hold on to it if there's not that need. Yeah, um, I have a friend, she's really strict with one, uh, they have one boy and she's really strict speaking only Russian and they were really tantrums, whatever what, but she was really consequent and he speaks only Russian with her. I honestly don't have such nerves with my boss to do that. So they understand everything but what I say, but they speak German to me. Yeah, yeah. So that this is a common, common occurrence. And I think I tend to, it really depends on the kids as well, because there will be some children where that will work, where there will be parents who will say, look, you really need to speak this other language with me. Let's say Spanish now. Okay, I really need you to speak Spanish with me because, you know, that's my language and that's what I feel comfortable with. But The children are smart and they know that you understand the other language. And so it can be stressful if the child is answering back to the parent in German. And they said, no, really, I want you to speak Spanish. And the child's like, oh, but I don't want to, or, oh, you're embarrassing me, or, you know, it becomes a struggle. And so what really, really matters most is the relationship between the parent and child. And so if we're talking about Language development, yes, I'm going to encourage the parent to use whatever language they feel most comfortable in. So in the case of a parent like me, where I definitely feel much more comfortable in English than I would even in French or German, then yeah, I'm going to continue speaking English because that's the best model for grammar, for the complex syntax, for being able to share literature and read. So building that vocabulary and all of that is best at that high level language, whatever you possess. Now, if you're talking about a parent who has very high level in Spanish and German and Russian and English, I'm not going to say, oh, but you don't have good pronunciation in that language, so you shouldn't be using, no, 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 no. If you feel comfortable with that language and you can express yourself in a way that you want to be able to express yourself in whatever language if you're using all of those languages you've just heard me i have no problem using all of your language repertoire in one sentence when you're talking with your child because what mainly matters the most important thing is the relationship between the parent Mm -hmm. and the child so whatever language that takes place in that doesn't matter. What matters is the links and the relationship of the child. So if you have a child who is absolutely refusing and it's becoming an issue and there, there are fights about what language to use, yeah, that needs to be something to be determined based on the relationship for the ch- children. And, you know, that's what matters. And then yeah. as an adult, the child can go back and 
relearn the vocabulary. So like what you're talking about, where they're answering you in German, but they understand Russian. That's what we call receptive bilingualism, right? So I've understood, but I'm going to use the language that I'm more comfortable in to express myself. But as an adult, if I find a need to use Russian, it will be very easy for me to develop that ability to speak and have that fluency to say what I want to say in Russian. Yeah. So I kind of tend to kind of look at it like, you know, I'm not going to say there's the right way or the wrong way to do things. People need to make their own decisions about what they need to do to make sure that they have a healthy relationship with their children. I think that's, again, what is most important. When you said that it will be easy as adult to learn language if it even was like hidden in the extra memory, I can say probably yes, because as a child, I was living in Germany, but I just heard German. I wasn't speaking and nobody spoke to me, but I heard a lot. Interesting. And it was really many years later than I started learning German. It was quite easy for me. Yep. This has actually been shown in research. What they did was they took children who had been internationally adopted. And I believe some of the children were Chinese. So they may have been exposed to Chinese, um, whether it was Mandarin or Cantonese, I don't know, but from a small time when they were babies, right? So, um, but less than a year or maybe two years, right? That they've been exposed to this language. So not speaking it. And then they were adopted into a family, let's say in the US. And then they did research on their brain. So they did an MRI, magnetic resonance imaging on their brains as the children were just listening to then the Mandarin that they had been exposed to in childhood and their brains responded. Wow. So they could say, I don't understand what you're saying, but there was brain activation that showed that there was some memory for that exposure. Great. Yeah, wow. it's amazing. It's great research. I would love to read about that. Yeah, 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 sure. It's also very interesting that you said that many researches on multilingual are made and wrote, uh, written by people who are monolingual. Yes. That's something like you're not professional in that, but you write about this. It's a bit tricky for me. Right? So, but I mean, this happens all the time. Let's think about it. So you can be a linguist, but in one language, right? And so they looked at bilingualism. And now I think there are more bilingual researchers. And so you, but you can tell when there's a, just a kind of understanding that you develop as a bilingual and you are less, I think, frightened by the idea of adding another language or as a speech therapist, I, what I see is what tends to happen. The measurements of deciding whether or not a child has a difficulty in a language to the point of needing intervention with speech therapy, right? They're all monolingual tests often. When you look at a test that is what we call normed, you know, standardized on a monolingual population, what they've done was take all the kids who talk alike and said, okay, what are these kids doing? And that's what we expect a kid to do. So if this kid who is learning more than one language isn't doing that, then that's uh, different. Oh dear, we should think about this. And that's really what the research has looked like in bilingual research. They go, hmm, how is this bilingual child different from this monolingual kid? Well, yeah, they have another language. It kind of seems obvious. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's been kind of frustrating to me. I have to look at the research and go, okay, what are they saying? And that doesn't help you. If you know that a bilingual child is bilingual, they are by definition not going to be like the monolingual child. And so people still expect 
their children to be like the monolingual children. So they still want them to have the same amount of vocabulary. They still, same, still want them to have the same pronunciation. Remember, we were talking about the accent thing. And I think that we need to just consider that when we're talking about when we say native speaker, that means monolingual. Because when you're a bilingual speaker, when you have added other languages into your repertoire, you are less likely to sound like a quote unquote native speaker. Moving on. <laughs> We had this with the kindergarten because uh, age of uh, five, they, there is a speech therapist, they say, and uh, make the paper, like what, what words your kid know and whatever. Mm-hmm. And my husband talked to them and I'm like, don't forget to remind her that she speaks four languages. Yes. It's different. It is key. It is really, really key because that means that that child's language is spread out over four languages. So if you want to do a true test of the vocabulary, then you need to test it in all four languages. And when they do this, they see that the total vocabulary, when you're talking about little children and you're adding up how many words that do they know, that it typically is, is equal to or more than a typical quote unquote monolingual mm-hmm. child in one of those languages. But yeah, people tend to forget this, right? So if you're, you're only using a vocabulary test to see if a child is doing okay in their language development, that's a problem because if the child is exposed to more than one set of vocabulary for you know, an environment, then obviously they need to be able to count all of those words. Um, to me, it would be a red flag if a child was given just a vocabulary test and then from that single vocabulary test saying, do you know what this is with a bunch of pictures? And then they didn't do well because it was in one of the child's languages Well, yeah. Did you test them the other language? That's not a good test of knowing whether or not a child has is having difficulty or not. Because I speak with parents who uh, whose languages I don't speak. So the way that I look at whether or not the child is having difficulty, I ask, how are they speaking with you? Do they make sense when they're talking to you? Do you understand what the child is wanting to tell you. And if it's difficult, is the child able to make himself understood in different ways, to, to use gesture, to, to go and show you what he's talking about? Is he talking in the other language and you just don't understand that? You know, these kinds of things are the questions that we need to ask so that we can find out the language use. It's not just a vocabulary test. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Many things that you told today make a bit ease on people I would say because you know we all have a big I hope so. expectations also in this um, area thank you very much for sharing many yeah. interesting things I think uh, we'll go google some of them and uh, see how it goes sure thank you very much it was inside the tribe and we hear us in a week bye-bye <music> Oh, 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 oh,